Hi, I'm Brian Harley, and this is Clifford Chance's Talking Tech podcast. Today's topic is Artificial Intelligence, Seven Legal Questions. AI is an exciting topic that's been grabbing the headlines as the technology emerges and begins to be deployed in all sorts of ways. It raises a range of questions, including legal questions, and those are the ones we're going to focus on today. So what is artificial intelligence? Well, a nice simple definition is to say that artificial intelligence is a machine or some software that replicates the functions of human intelligence. But it doesn't have to replicate all of the functions of human intelligence. It doesn't have to be general artificial intelligence. For example, um, a machine that plays chess very well may not be very good at anything else, but we would still call it artificial intelligence, just not general artificial intelligence. And that leads me to a small note of caution, perhaps, but also a way of scoping our discussion today, which is that there is a tendency when talking about artificial intelligence to think about a super intelligent computer like HAL 9000, the computer on board the spaceship in the film Space Odyssey 2001, a fully fledged intelligence that can do everything human minds can do and more. Well, we're not there yet. That's speculative, the domain of futurology. Between now and the moment that that kind of superintelligence emerges, there's at least years, decades, and there will be many incremental steps between now and then as the technology improves, cracks a particular problem, and then another, and then another. And what we're interested in is understanding the impact of artificial intelligence and the kind of legal questions that it raises today. Looking to the future, of course, but also focusing on the kind of implementations and applications of artificial intelligence that we see today. So, before I jump into the seven legal questions, I'd like to introduce a very interesting framework to understand where AI has come from and where it's going. There's so many interesting things to say about artificial intelligence, about where it came from, about how you can apply the technology, about where we think the technology will go in the future, that it's difficult to choose a single explanatory framework to try and give a good picture of the technology. But we'll borrow one great, clear framework from DARPA. You've probably heard of DARPA, the US federal agency that was behind the original internet and also Apple's Siri mobile phone intelligent assistant. Well, John Launchbury, who's the director of DARPA's Information Innovation Office, um, in a great video that we'll uh, link to, explains the history and future of artificial intelligence in terms of three waves. The first wave is essentially the past of artificial intelligence, and they call that handcrafted knowledge. Handcrafted knowledge refers to computer systems that map a certain domain of knowledge into something you might call a logic tree. To put it in other ter terms, imagine a succession of questions where for each question you have a set number of answers and depending on the answer to the first question you're presented with a second question with another set of answers and so on and so on until you have fully mapped out a certain domain of knowledge. Well, a lot of work went into that approach and it never really yielded the kind of systems that we describe as genuinely 
artificially intelligent. It hasn't gone away. That approach has been woven into other approaches, but the idea of creating a fully artificially intelligent system just based on this approach is now part of the history of artificial intelligence. Where we're at today, the second wave is what DARPA call probabilistic learning. The idea of probabilistic learning is the ability of computers to crunch large sets of data and from those sets of data to extract patterns that they can then apply to new data. So for example, when a computer system understands when you speak English into a microphone or can recognize your face in a photograph or can read your awful handwriting, what it's doing is leveraging these probabilistic learning technologies because it's crunched a huge number of recordings of human voices, of photographs of faces, of messy handwriting samples. It has learned how to recognize those patterns and it applies it in order to be able to extract data from messy real world data, the kind of data that the earlier approach of handcrafted knowledge could never really cope with. But that's not the end of the story because DARPA see the future of artificial intelligence technology in a third wave that they call contextual adaptation. And the idea of contextual adaptation is to take this pattern recognition ability one step further and not just to recognize raw patterns, but from those patterns to create a model, a framework that you can reapply in different contexts in order to analyze that new data in an even more powerful way. So to give an example, a probabilistic learning second wave system might be able to recognize that a picture of a cat is a picture of a cat because it's crunched a million pictures of cats before and it recognizes statistically that this is probably a cat. A third wave system, however, would analyze the picture, break it down into its constituent elements and applying pattern recognition, it would say, well, these look like pointy ears and these look like feline eyes and these are whiskers. So I'm going to conclude that this is a cat, a higher level of analysis and abstraction. That, according to DARPA, is the next step in the evolution of artificial intelligence technology. Now, this framework will feed into our discussion of the legal issues that artificial intelligence gives rise to, which we're going to turn to now. Our first legal question about artificial intelligence is about personality. Should artificially intelligent systems be given legal personality? Our instinctive answer to that question in the current state of the technology is probably not. Maybe in the future when we have super intelligent robots that are very similar to humans in how they think and how they act, we might start considering giving them legal personality. But if what artificial intelligence means today is an algorithm in the back end of an e-commerce website that recommends a product you might be interested in based on what you've just bought, well, clearly there is no compelling case to give those any kind of recognition as legal personality. So the question really is one about where is that line between trivial technologies and something more. And that line is probably defined by the idea of autonomy. We'll come back to the question of responsibility in our next question, but in some fundamental sense, the whole debate about whether artificial intelligences should be granted legal personality or not 
comes from a sense that once you have a sufficient level of intelligence and decision-making power in the real world, there is an autonomy there that is analogous to human beings and how they operate in the real world. And therefore, you start having to think about whether or not the law should recognize them as such. And the law has no problem fundamentally with recognizing entities other than humans as having legal personality. We're all familiar with limited liability companies and nobody has an issue with these entities having legal responsibility and the ability to be sued and to own property. That was very controversial 150 years ago, but it's much less so today. So really the question about artificial intelligence is that what point in the development of the technology or in which particular implementations of the technology would those features of autonomy arise that there might be a compelling case to give it a recognition as an autonomous agent deserving of legal personality. The European Parliament's Committee on Legal Affairs in a draft report has given some thought to artificial intelligence and how the law might adapt to the emergence of the technology. And one of the things they suggest is setting up a register for artificially intelligent systems. Now, entering an AI into a register does not grant it legal personality per se, but it is part of a process of thinking under what conditions you have a system that exhibits the features of artificial intelligence, of autonomy and decision-making that is sufficient that it might warrant the intervention of the law to say, now this thing is an individual artificial intelligence and the law needs to track it for whatever policy reasons. And the kind of reasons that are going to determine whether or not we think we should um, be monitoring artificial intelligences, be making them legally accountable, is related to the question of legal responsibility that we're going to turn to in our second question. Our second legal question on artificial intelligence is about responsibility. What model of legal responsibility should we apply to artificially intelligent systems? We've talked about legal personality, an idea that in the short term at least we can probably discount. But that doesn't avoid the question that's much more direct and immediate of responsibility for AIs and for their decisions and even their actions. The basic issue here is that artificial intelligence is all about replicating the ability of humans to interact with the world on the level of cognition. And from that cognition to make decisions, at least partly autonomously, at least to some extent without the direct scrutiny of a human being. If artificially intelligent systems are not going to be given legal personality, then who is going to be responsible for the actions of the AI? Well, there's a few different models you could think about. Maybe an AI is like a dangerous animal. If you keep a dangerous animal in your home and it escapes and causes damage to your neighbor's property, you're going to be strictly liable. But if you think about it for a minute, maybe it's not that likely that technologically progressive legislators are going to embrace strict liability for AIs as the way forward. If you were to say to the big technology companies that are investing heavily in artificial intelligence, as soon as you pass the threshold of artificial intelligence, whatever that is, you are going to be strictly liable for the actions of the AI you create. Or maybe not the big company that develops the AI, but the operator or the owner of the AI. 
that may have the potential significantly to suppress the development of AI and limit its commercial prospects. Maybe not. Maybe you feel that the dangers of artificial intelligence are such that we should be ensuring that innovation is conducted in such a tightly controlled liability framework that the innovators will be very careful that their AIs don't go out of control. But it doesn't necessarily have to be strict liability. There are other models, such as traditional negligence. But one of the issues with a traditional general negligence approach is the issue of foreseeability. By definition, artificial intelligence involves the intervention of something like an autonomous agent. Is it reasonably foreseeable to me as the owner or the operator of an artificially intelligent system that that system is going to do a particular thing or produce a particular outcome? If it isn't, then the autonomous decision-making of the AI could be such that I can't reasonably have predicted that it would choose that course of action rather than another. And maybe that breaks the chain of causality and also releases me of my legal accountability. Another model finally mentioned by the European Parliament Committee on Legal Affairs in the report we've already mentioned, which goes hand in hand with their idea of a register for AIs, is to require AIs not only to be registered, but also for the owners to take out compulsory insurance. Just like cars, we take out insurance for AIs because they're potentially dangerous. They're great. They have a huge amount of social utility, potentially. But because that utility comes with some real dangers, the law would require compulsory insurance to ensure that if somebody suffers a loss as a result of our use of that AI, well, that person will be adequately compensated. Maybe that's regulatory overkill, but who knows where the technology may take us. Consider, for example, AI systems that carry weapons and can, under certain circumstances, use force. Surely there the arguments in favour of some kind of register and stringent liability regime may sound suddenly more compelling. Our third question on artificial intelligence is about compliance. <laughs> How do we make artificially intelligent systems comply with the rules of ethics and the law? The basic problem here is, at least in the coming years, you're not going to get fully-fledged AIs that are going to understand or feel bound by the rules of ethics or by law. You're going to have machines that are tasked with carrying out a function and maybe learning how to carry that function out better, but unless you find a way of making them otherwise, by default, these machines are going to be natural Machiavellians, pursuing the most effective way of carrying out a task, but without regard for the ethical or legal implications. There's a great paper on AI safety I'll um, link in the comments called Concrete Problems in AI Safety that explores some of these issues, and it's fascinating. It mentions some of the kinds of problems you might encounter when you're trying to design an AI to deal with a certain task. So pretty much by definition, an artificially intelligent system has to be able to learn. And in order to give it that ability to learn, you have to give it a, what's called a reward function. When an AI is repeating a task, you have to have something that tells it that it's doing better and that it should repeat that way of doing things and not do the other less successful way of doing things. But how do you design that reward function? What should the AI feel rewarded for? If you have a cleaning robot, for example, 
Um, how do you ensure that it maximizes the efficiency of its cleaning routine? If, for example, you give it one point of reward for each square foot of tiling that it cleans, you might find your cleaning robot knocking over the flower vase so it can clean the same tile twice. That's a general problem when you're trying to simplify things to make them executable by a machine. You have to be quite careful in selecting those rules because machines are not going to have an understanding that could challenge certain strategies as being unethical or illegal. What you're coming up against here is a computational or a technological limit. It's hard enough to design an AI that can do something better than the next algorithm, whether it's clean the floor or recommend the next video you might want to watch. But it's immeasurably harder, in the current state of the technology at least, to confer on an AI the ability to understand and apply the complex, context-specific shades of meaning that make up our rules of ethics and our laws. Humans find it hard enough. It's fair to say that in the current state of the technology, this is basically impossible. All we can do is try and rely on simplifications. But these simplifications can only be approximations of the rules of ethics and the rules of law. And that means it's very likely that there's always going to be something of a gap, a potential for an AI to figure out a solution that is in fact not ethical or not legal. For those who design AIs, this is a critical concern. Our fourth legal question on artificial intelligence is about discrimination. How are we going to teach artificially intelligent systems not to discriminate? And by discrimination here, I mean discrimination that is unethical or illegal. It's a very live issue. You may have followed in the news stories about algorithms and the kind of issues that various types of algorithms can cause when they're built into business models or in the ways that public bodies carry out their functions. The same considerations that affect algorithms apply to an even greater extent to AI technologies. Let's, let's pause to define terms here. An algorithm is a set of rules whereby an automated process or a computer carries out a certain task broken down into very clear steps. Whether it's a machine that sets the price of a product on an e-commerce website or a system that trades shares on an electronic trading platform. Let's pause here to define terms a little bit. An algorithm is a set of rules whereby an automated process or a computer carries out a certain task broken down into very clear steps. Whether it's a machine that sets the price of a product on an e-commerce website or a system that trades shares on an electronic trading platform. In a way, you could see an algorithm as the little brother of AI. An algorithm is just a simple set of steps. An artificially intelligent system is a much more complex system that may itself be a very complex algorithm or set of algorithms that has the ability to learn from data sets and to reapply knowledge to improve itself. And once you add that ability to learn, the potential for unpredictable patterns of behavior is very significantly increased. At this point, I'd like to make a recommendation of a book I found very enlightening, despite its title being a rather bad pun. It's called Weapons of Math Destruction by Kathy O'Neill. I recommend it because it manages to deal quite a technical subject matter while not at all being a technical book and is very much 
accessible to a general readership. Now, Cathy O'Neill embarks on a scathing critique of how algorithms can be deployed in ways that are quite harmful and pernicious. All the algorithms that crunch data on people and try to determine things like eligibility for loans and insurance premiums have the potential for great misapplication. They take in real-world data. They recognise real-world patterns and feed those patterns into their decision-making models. But one of the problems is that real-world factual situations often reflect the real-world inequalities that exist. So what do I mean by that? For example, uh, in the US and many other places, your zip or postal code can be a proxy for all sorts of things. Maybe your social economic background or your ethnic or racial origin. And as a result of those real-world inequalities, your zip code may correlate with things like your statistical likelihood of defaulting on a loan or the incidence of car accidents. And if an AI system takes that as its input, it may well produce a decision-making model that replicates those real-world inequalities and is effectively discriminatory. As they say in IT, garbage in, garbage out. Inequal realities in, discriminatory decisions out. Our fifth legal question on artificial intelligence is about transparency. How do you account for the decisions of an artificially intelligent system? You may be familiar with Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in the number 42. For those of you who aren't, super-intelligent aliens built a city-sized computer called Deep Thought to calculate the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe and everything. And the answer turned out to be 42. These aliens had no idea what that actually meant, so they decided to build another planet-sized computer to figure out what the question was in the first place. And that story encapsulates, on a slightly different scale, a very real concern around AI. How do you explain how an AI got to a certain decision, how it reached a certain conclusion? And to look into this issue, let's go back to the model of the three waves that we mentioned previously. Different technologies work in different ways. So what we're going to say is not true of all implementations of AI, but it's certainly true of some of them. So if we look at the first wave technologies and um, these well-mapped out logic trees, you probably don't have a transparency problem because your domain is so well-mapped out, you can always trace back how you got from a to B to C to D. But how about second wave technologies, the technologies we characterized as probabilistic learning following DARPA? Their decision making is based on these statistical models they've derived from crunching large sets of data. Is it that easy to explain what's happening when the technologies apply those models. There's a particular very interesting technology that shows this problem at its most acute, and that's neural networks. Neural networks are based on emulating the structure of human and animal brains, replicating human brain cells and their connections. Now, 
the knowledge that these systems derive from the data sets that they crunch is embedded in all of those interconnections. Just like your brain, if I were to open up your head, I'm not going to find a clearly spelled out reasoning explaining how you reached your decision. And neural networks are very similar to that. So the legal problem here is what happens if a regulator comes knocking at your door and asks you to account for a decision that you have made using an artificially intelligent system? For example, if you're using this AI system to decide who should be eligible for a loan, it might be difficult if you're using that type of intransparent second wave technology. You might find it quite difficult to explain to the regulator exactly what's happening under the hood. An interesting possibility here is that third wave systems might hold the key to solving this problem. We mentioned previously that third wave systems are systems that can extract patterns, but also derive from those patterns a more abstract model that they can then reapply in different contexts. For example, by explaining that it thinks a certain picture represents a cat, not just because it looks like a million other cat pictures it's seen, but because it can break it down into its elements and show that those match up with the elements of what constitutes a cat. Well, those kind of systems might well be able, just like humans can, to explain how they came to a certain conclusion, to show what it is that was going on in their minds when they made that decision. And that could be a solution to the problem of transparency. Our sixth legal question on artificial intelligence is about ownership. <laughs> Can artificial intelligences be owned? Can they own? And indeed, can they steal? In fact, we're going to consider a few related questions that all have to do with intellectual property. For other types of ownership, we've already observed that artificial intelligences are not legal persons. They therefore can't own. But let's consider, in order to explore some interesting issues around this, a story that appeared a few months ago in Wired called How to Steal an AI. And that article tells the story of how a team of researchers put together one artificial intelligence that interacted with other artificial intelligences by firing queries at the second artificial intelligence. And from a large volume of queries, the first artificial intelligence was able to reconstruct the functionality, the model of the second artificial intelligence and thereby basically create a copy of the second AI. So the legal question here is, in essentially reconstructing the second AI, did the first AI steal anything? Was it a theft? Was it a breach of copyright? Well, on the basis of current IP principles, the answer is probably not. An artificial intelligence, like any other kind of computer program, is primarily likely to be protected by copyright, although in the US and some other jurisdictions it may also be copied by patent. But as a matter of copyright, at least, what the first AI did was not to copy any code of the second AI. In fact, it had no access to the code, not even the object code. So this is not a reverse engineering. Reverse engineering means when you take the object code and you reconstruct the source code from that object code. This didn't happen here. What the first AI did 
was really reconstruct the functionality of the second AI. And that is not a breach of copyright because the functionality of that second AI is not protected by copyright. Could it be a breach of patent? Yes, maybe. But the patentability of artificial intelligence inventions is a complex question and as a rule will probably not be the default form of protection for ownership of artificial intelligences. Another intellectual property question that's very interesting is whether or not when an AI creates a work itself, it can own the resulting intellectual property. The simple answer again is, of course, the AI itself cannot own it. It's not a legal person. But under um, general principles of English copyright, at least when a computer generated work is created, then the person that makes the arrangements for that creation is by default the owner. The question that's interesting here is that the artificial intelligence may be acting quite autonomously. By definition, as we've seen, an artificial intelligence is a system that has some potential to reach its own conclusions, to make its own decisions. And therefore, at some point, maybe the artificial intelligence behaves in such a way that its creator, that its controller could not reasonably have been said to anticipate, to have coded it, to have designed it for that purpose. If that is the case, then it is also possible that this test of whether that person has made the arrangements for the creation of the work can really be said to have done so because the autonomous decision making, the autonomous functioning of the AI may break that connection between the arranger and the resulting work. And if that were the case, then under English principles of copyright, at least there is a significant risk that there would be no copyright in the resulting work. And you, even though you own and created and operate that artificial intelligence, have no particular claim over the work created by your AI. So that might be a question worth pondering because there's so much potential in works created by artificial intelligences, but a bit of thought will need to go in to ensuring that you do get a protectable copyright as a result. Our seventh and final legal question on artificial intelligence concerns labor. What will the impact of artificial intelligence be on labor? This is the real headline issue. There's so many stories in the papers of how we're all doomed to become professionally obsolete because AIs are going to take over our jobs. Now, of course, technology has been replacing jobs since at least the age when mechanical looms started replacing the jobs of the Luddites. But AI does represent the breaking of a ceiling that had previously limited the impact of that trend to the more mechanical jobs. But once machines become capable of cognition and genuine autonomous decision making, their ability to take over is no longer limited to the purely mechanical functions, but can begin to impinge on what was traditionally the preserve of white collar workers. This is, of course, a huge issue. And over the long term, looks like it will be a very real factor shaping our economies. But consistently with the overall theme of this podcast, I do want to think about the impact of artificial intelligence 
on labor and employment now, or at least in the relatively short term, not focusing on that point in the future may, when it may become very easy to replace a lawyer or an artist or indeed a politician with an artificial intelligence system, but rather look at the kind of technologies, the kind of tools that are already available now or are in the process of emerging and how the use of those tools is shaping employment and labor now and will shape it in the few years to come. A good place for me to start as a lawyer is the legal industry. The legal industry might have been seen once upon a time as an industry that was relatively impervious to automation. Clearly, that hasn't been true over the last few years where the more commoditized and standardized uh, parts of the profession, particularly the generation of template or standardized documents, has been increasingly automated and computerized. But the technologies now available to lawyers are going well beyond that. You see, for example, the emergence of tools that can analyze large sets of documents and interpret their contents and find certain types of clauses and organize the documents in a way that makes them easy to identify. And tools also that can generate documents, not just from very basic templates, but with a more sophisticated understanding of how the different parts of the documents interrelate. What impact does that have on the legal industry? It doesn't make lawyers obsolete. We have certainly not reached a point in time where all clients will be comfortable with delegating their legal work to uh, machines of relatively limited sophistication. You still need a lawyer in control. But a lawyer who is willing and able to use these technologies, fully understanding both their potential and their limitations, will be able to deliver legal services much more productively, much more efficiently. And it's those gains in productivity and efficiency that are going to be the real drivers here. Technology has been driving competition between lawyers and in many other industries for a long time now, but AI represents a potential leap. Those businesses that embrace these tools will gain an edge over their competitors. So for us, the story of the impact of artificial intelligence in the short term, at least, is more one of a technological arms race than one of replacement. Of course, the use of these tools will change how we work and what we spend our days doing, and they will change hiring practices. But it's not a story of machines simply taking over jobs. It's more a story of a new and revolutionary technology completely changing how labor is deployed. We hope you found this podcast on seven legal questions on artificial intelligence interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please do email us at talkingtech at cliffordchance.com. Thank you. Thank you.